This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Saturday, July 9th, 2022. I'm Kevin Cork. A change at 10 Downing Street in London. One that could impact policy decisions statewide at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Boris Johnson mm-hmm. has been dealing with the same kinds of problems here in the UK as uh, the Biden administration is dealing with in the US, and that is soaring prices, that is shortages of, of workers and goods, and a slowing economy. I'm Jared Halper. The NASA administrator worries China's emerging space program could spell a lunar takeover. He is concerned that China is trying to claim the moon as its own and perhaps even colonize the moon. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. When British Prime Minister Boris Johnson resigned from his post this week, questions abound. What will this mean for the UK, for Europe, and for American interests abroad? I would say the best way to describe Boris Johnson is that he is a force of nature. Fox News Chief Foreign Affairs Correspondent Greg Palcott has spent the past 24 years in London. He also has been for the past uh, three years or so the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, the Conservative Party leader as well. He's had a, uh, shall I say, tumultuous time in office, very colorful, very loud, always interested in the camera, always interested in media, always interested in making a splash, and he has some achievements under his belt. but. He has had problems. Problems basically, according to many analysts and and, uh, spectators, uh, problems with the truth, problems with misstatements, and problems with scandals. For example, during the COVID-19 lockdown, he was caught in a big scandal about attending parties when everybody else had to stay in their house. And just recently, he promoted an individual to a, a pretty high government job. Turned out he had a lot of sexual misconduct charges, or at least allegations made against him that Boris Johnson either knew or didn't know. So because of all of that, not only is the opposition Labour Party uh, happy to see the backside of him, well, his own Conservative Party is doing that as well. About a third of the government, that is cabinet members, uh, top officials within the government, basically quit. They said, we can't work for this guy anymore. Say we don't have trust in him anymore and demanded his resignation. He held out. He held out for, oh, I would say about uh, 48 hours, Kevin. But uh, finally, he resigned as the party leader of the conservative uh, grouping. uh, And then that should lead to his departure as prime minister as well. But as you well know, Greg, with high gas prices, soaring inflation, uh, frankly, for a lot of Americans, their focus will be squarely on their own issues here at home. And they may not understand why Johnson's resignation really matters. Why should Americans take care and take note? 
Well, I think, Kevin, for, for one thing, uh, the U.K. is a very important strategic ally for the U.S. And we, we have found this, of course, during the Ukraine crisis. We have now seen uh, how important NATO is. And the U.K. Is, is basically our strongest partner within NATO. But more, more importantly, uh, Boris Johnson has really made a point of uh, sticking up for, defending and supporting the, uh, the embattled Ukrainian government, the Ukrainian nation, as it battles with Russia. And uh, the Joe Biden, President Biden, has been uh, very supportive of that. And obviously, that's a line that the Biden administration is taking, too. So uh, losing uh, Boris Johnson is a bit of a loss when it comes to dealing with the Kremlin. In fact, uh, a Kremlin spokesman said, Kevin, this is a just reward for his support. So that's important. From a strategic standpoint, it's pretty important. Uh, from an economic standpoint, from a domestic standpoint, well, probably just some lessons in this. Uh, Boris Johnson mm -hmm. has been dealing with the same kinds of problems here in the UK as uh, the Biden administration is dealing with in the US, and that is soaring prices, that is shortages of, of workers and goods and a slowing economy. So at the very least, this should be a uh, case in point about what happens when uh, people aren't too happy in the country. They, mm, they can take it out for a variety of reasons on the folks in charge, Kevin. Let me follow up on that, if you don't mind. How would you describe 10 Downing Street's relationship with the White House, and how, Greg, do you suppose that'll change now that there will be effectively a change at the top? I think that's a, a very important uh, question, uh, uh, Kevin. And uh, President Biden, in a statement, uh, made it very clear that he would continue to cooperate, that his administration would continue to cooperate with UK, calling the UK one of the, the strongest allies of uh, the United States on, on a range of issues. And as we say, this could be strategic, this could be, uh, this could be economic, uh, in, in a range of fields. Uh, in fact, the change we will see will be incremental. I think there's going to be a lot less show, a lot less flamboyance in the leadership here in the UK. But in terms of substance, I think it's it will be a government. It will be immediately a conservative government, but, but there could be yet another general election coming up in, in, in a year's time or something like that. On either side, it's, it's probably a government, uh, a, a nation that uh, the U.S. could do business with, Kevin. I so enjoy your candor, and so I'm going to ask you this. This may put you in a little bit of a tough spot, but you know me, I don't mind. Uh, I'm just curious, if, if you were to compare Boris Johnson to, say, a Politico domestically here in the States, uh, who do you think he might best compare with? Well, you're, you're leading me into this, uh, Kevin. Uh, you're a bad guy for that. But no, I mean, uh, Donald Trump was a, was a big admirer of, uh, of, uh, of Boris Johnson. Uh, certainly, uh, both of them, well, aside from the blonde hair, they both have a very distinctive style uh, when it comes to the media, when it comes to the public. I was there in uh, 2016 up at uh, Donald Trump's, uh, Donald Trump's uh, golf course in Scotland when he landed there to do a tour. This was before he became president, but it just happened to be the day after Brexit. For your listeners, that, that's the uh, uh, Britain exit from the European Union, which, uh, which Boris Johnson had a lot to do with. Uh, Donald Trump had a lot of praise for that. He thinks that uh, Britain should be in charge of its own affairs and Brussels shouldn't be dictating. And, and in fact, Boris Johnson was very much a part of that break uh, by uh, the UK from the European Union. A lot of people are happy about that. Mm, I, I must say a lot of other people are, are not too pleased with it, Kevin.
I can imagine. Last question I have for you, Greg, and again, we so, so appreciate your time. If you were to distill it down into maybe a, a simple concept, what is life going to be like moving forward for those who will make this observation and say, you know what? Enough with the Boris Johnson chaos. Let's move past that. Where do you think we go from here, not just in the U.K., but as far as the U.S., sort of watching from afar? Yeah, I think, Kevin, uh, in the words of of one columnist in the the Times of London newspaper, uh, we will get our country back. A lot of people just didn't uh, didn't hanker to the to the uh, style of Boris Johnson. They thought he was all show and no substance. They thought he was too much uh, getting trying to get the headlines and not trying to get the essential things across for the uh, for the British people. I mean, listen, I, I just filled up my uh, my car at, at a what they call a petrol station here, and it cost me 150 bucks the equivalent of 150 bucks just to fill up that car. So there's a lot of people suffering here, a lot of people straining just to get by day to day. And a lot of people, I think, are just tired of, of, of the circus, of the show of, of Boris Johnson. They will be looking for forward to a politician, either on the conservative side or on the uh, left-leaning labor side, that will be dealing with more of the, the day-to-day nitty-gritty uh, of life in this country. A lot of challenges here, just like everywhere around the world, really, Kevin. Any names I should keep an eye out or an ear out for, Greg, that uh, you think will pop into the uh, position? A couple of names are coming up. A guy named Rishi Sunak, he was—he stepped down as the finance uh, minister here uh, out of uh, disregard for Boris Johnson. He was a pretty strong uh, fellow during the COVID crisis and, and pumping money into the economy and trying to support this. We're looking at the possibility of, of him uh, going for the leadership job. A woman named Liz, Liz Truss, she is the foreign secretary, basically the, the equivalent of the, of the secretary of state. She has been very out front, uh, not just in... Uh, Ukraine and dealing with NATO matters, but uh, in global issues. And another uh, strategic-minded fellow by the name of Ben Wallace, he's the defense minister. He, too, has been very active. Uh, And I think key to all of these individuals is they're a bit more on the substance side. There are a few showy ones out there, too, who are looking for activity. But again, this is a process. It could take a couple months to pick the conservative party leader. That person then becomes the prime minister. And then you're kind of open to saying, hey, there should be a general election for a broader mandate. So while the British deal with all sorts of problems, just like the Americans are, um, there's a lot of uh, going to be political shenanigans going on as well here, at least for the next several months, Kevin. Tremendous job. Chief Foreign Affairs Correspondent Greg Palcott. Greg, thank you. Thank you so much, Kevin. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
The stakes out high in this century's emerging space race. NASA Administrator Bill Nelson, who flew on a space shuttle mission as a member of Congress in 1986, piqued interest when he said recently in an interview, China could take over the moon as that country's space program progresses. The Chinese government quickly admonished that comment as a smear campaign against reasonable outer space endeavors. But Nelson's concerns are not the first to be raised by U.S. officials, especially those in the Pentagon about China's ambitions beyond the Earth's atmosphere and the implication it could have for the future of warfare. Fox News national security correspondent Jennifer Griffin has been following that story and shares her reporting on why the U.S. military is looking at threats beyond our world. So the concern was first expressed by Bill Nelson, the former astronaut who's now the current head of NASA. NASA, of course, is the civilian arm of the U.S. space mission. You have U.S. Space Force at the Pentagon and national security officials. I've heard speak about uh, China's sort of race to the moon. Uh, They are concerned. Um, They're concerned because they don't know what China is planning to do. And what they've seen so far is China militarizing space. So you're right that in 1969, the U.S. was the first uh, country to place a man on the moon. Uh, Neil Armstrong, we all remember, uh, it was a glorious moment, planted the flag. And the U.S. really stopped going to the moon after 1972. So That was considered sort of been there, done that. And now there have been some alarming developments. And Bill Nelson, uh, the NASA uh, administrator, raised in an interview with the German news outlet that he is concerned that China is trying to claim the moon as its own and perhaps even colonize the moon. Um, And he said, this was a quote uh, from Bill Nelson, we must be very concerned that China is landing on the moon and saying it's ours now and you stay out. Um, He said China is good. Uh, They're way behind, obviously, in space technology from what the U.S. and the the Soviets did back in the day in the original sort of Cold War space race. But he said China is also good because they steal ideas and technology from others. He then went on to accuse China of using its space station as a platform for learning how to destroy other people's satellites. Now, obviously, this led to a ferocious reaction from China's foreign ministry spokesperson who accused Nelson of smearing China. He said that uh, he was disregarding facts and that it was irresponsible to talk uh, this way about uh, China's, you know, mission to space. Um, I think what's notable is that China and Russia are teaming up in space and they are planning uh, in the next few years to have a joint base down on the southern side of the moon that does that's gotten people's attention, frankly. You know, I guess one of the the differences is, and I know Bill Nelson talked about this as well, is that NASA is a civilian program. Um, These space programs, particularly in China, uh, aren't civilian, right? These are military-run. Well, everything in China, is, there's a mixture. It's it's all run by the state. And the Chinese Space Exploration Program is run by the Chinese military. And that is different from NASA. That's what Bill Nelson said in a statement to Fox. Um, and NASA has basically had a peaceful, open civilian space program with international participation. You had the mm-hmm. International Space Station. There was great cooperation between American and Russian um, uh, astronauts and cosmonauts over the, over the years. Um, 
and so the the Chinese are are in a slightly different situation. And we heard I when I was out at the Reagan Defense Forum in December, General David Thompson, who is the Vice Chief of Space Operations for the Pentagon Space Force, he expressed concerns, and he said that uh, that the Chinese are getting closer and closer to being as good as the U.S. in space. They are building, he said, and fielding and updating their space capabilities at twice the rate that the U.S. is. And so that certainly has gotten people attention. There was also an interesting, this is separate from the space issue, but in terms of just the the rise of China, there was a very interesting meeting at uh, British intelligence headquarters, MI5 headquarters in London yesterday with the head of the FBI, Chris Wray, and the head of British intelligence warning that China is, quote, the biggest game-changing challenge to both intelligence agencies. And Chris Ray said that uh, the FBI opens a counterintelligence investigation against China every 12 hours. Uh, these investigations are up a whopping 1,300%. So the, the, the speed at which China is developing not just uh, its space capabilities, but also its military capabilities, the growth of its military, um, it all has... The Pentagon and other U.S. officials very, very concerned. They have very deep pockets, and they're investing at an alarming rate in space. The reason space is of interest, again, to the Pentagon and the military is that uh, the next war likely will involve uh, some sort of space aspect, cyber space aspect. They're trying to and knock down any, satellites? Any sort of global, um, for instance, China could take out the entire GPS system yeah. that the U.S. military and the U- and U.S. civilians use to, to navigate uh, the globe. And the, that's that's based on satellites um, up in space that that are unprotected. And, and so the militarization of of space and the lack of any sort of treaties that govern the rules in space really has a lot of people very concerned right now. That's an interesting point as well, sort of the how do you sort of navigate the, this sort of area that isn't covered by, by treaties or any sort of international uh, legal system? Obviously, the United States has this new branch of the military, the Space Force. Is, is that the primary mission now to to try and head off, as you point out, the you know what could be vulnerable when you talk about GPS and other uh, very critical satellite systems that that I guess are used for both military and civilian purposes. Yes, I mean it's it's one of the reasons that um, space. There was always a space component to all of the military branches, um, and the Air Force was in the lead mm-hmm. in terms of dealing with space uh, space issues for the Pentagon until under President Trump they set up a space force, and that that um, really is is one of the most interesting um, aspects of of what the Pentagon is focusing on these days because of the potential the future of warfare. The future of warfare. Um, if if the U.S. cannot defend its satellites in space, it could be blinded in moments uh, going into any any war, into the any sort of great power war. Now, God forbid that happens, but but that is has a lot of people working overtime here at the Pentagon. I just to look back at at how China is moving in the last uh, few years in space, just to give a sense of the race that is already underway. Uh, the Chinese government has 
has invested billions of dollars in its space program in the last few years. Um, it successfully landed an exploratory rover on the moon in December of 2020 and one on Mars in May of 2021. And the first module for its space station was launched in April of last year, and they expect to have actual manned crews in on, on its space station by the end of this year. So this is, um, and the there I mentioned that joint China-Russia research station on the moon's south pole, that's supposed to be set up by about 2035, which sounds far off, but it actually is right around the corner. In military planning, that's, that's not that far off, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so what is the next, does this mean that we can expect, as Congress sort of looks at military funding, that you know, funding Space Force is, becomes maybe more of a priority. It's not, I think, something that a lot of Americans are yet it's kind of real familiar with really thinking about as we think about our armed forces, right? But do you kind of see, as the Pentagon puts forward sort of its planning and its budgets, uh, that the, the Space Force is going to get more attention than it has uh, over the last, what, two years or so? Absolutely. I think the Space Force is going to be probably one of the biggest growth areas in the Pentagon budget. Um, that's something to look out for. But also NASA, the civilian mm -hmm. uh, space uh, agency. I think that, you know, many people thought sort of NASA was a quaint, you know, it, it was sort of a, a, a poor cousin. But, but you know, you have the Artemis uh, program um, and, and you know, the Mars program. I mean, there, there are some incredible, incredible things going on the, that... If the U.S. is not competitive in space, uh, it really, it, it's just, it's very interesting watching China um, move at record speeds. And, and the U.S. needs to be on the cutting edge of, of what's happening in space, not only from a defensive perspective, but also in terms of research, in terms of um, establishing uh, life, you know, whether there's life on other planets, but also um, looking back at this planet and how to save life on this planet. Um, there are environmental issues. There are, uh, you know, the greenhouse gas issues. There are huge, huge, uh, the survivability of the planet, you know, probably some of uh, the solutions are going to be found uh, via space. And that's where NASA comes in. And then, of course, from a military perspective, uh, the Pentagon Space Force um, is getting a lot of attention and is, is moving also at record speed. You know, then you, you just look at the the really accelerated rate at which China can do things. And, you know, the U.S. was known for innovation in space for decades, and it, it really kind of stagnated. And, you know, you look at the hypersonic weapons program that how how uh, China leapfrogged over the U.S. and now has a better hypersonic, better hypersonic weapons. How did that happen? I mean, people took their eye off the ball, clearly. Yeah, and obviously funding is obviously a big part of the, that conversation that, that will be the, the follow-up. And we didn't even get time to, to talk about the uh, the UFO report that came out recently uh, <laughs> from the Navy. So we'll, we'll save that for another conversation. Jennifer, I always appreciate our chats. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks, Jared. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com.
Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, an American basketball star pleads guilty to drug-related offenses in Russia, but the Biden administration says it is working to end the unjustified detention of Brittany Griner. We'll discuss those diplomatic channels and whether other Americans are at risk around the world. And Jessica Rosenthal continues our deep dive into the upcoming midterms and the impact suburban women could play in control of the House and Senate. Until then, I'm Jared Halpert. Thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.